shall give God up. My God did not fail praise in the pandemic. Oh, come on. Come on. That's, don't panic. Don't give him up. My God, Jesus, not my God did not come fail praise. My God did not fail Hallelujah. That's the story I tell. Hallelujah. Somebody knows Hallelujah. in this season that it was nobody but God. Somebody say nobody but God. Come on, y'all. Come on. Come on. You couldn't get yourself through that one. But it was nobody but God. Yes, Jesus. Our God did not fail. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Well, Grace City, we are in the third week of our Might from the Margin series, and Last week, we told you that there's power in embracing the disinherited in 1 Peter chapter 2. And this week, we're going to look at the humanity of Jesus in Hebrew chapter 2 and examine how he became the model to how to bring might to the margins. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you, we, break, we bless you, and we celebrate you for being the God of our salvation. God, you are the potter, we are the clay mold the shape us, make us, break us to what you need us to be. Holy Spirit, we give you full authority. Minister through my mind. Speak with my tongue. Love with my heart. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children say amen, amen, amen. Our passage this morning will be coming from Hebrews chapter 2. And I'll be looking at verse 1, reading verse 1. Uh, and then dropping down to verses 14 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who are their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels who helped, but Abraham's descendant. For this reason we had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that we might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he may make an atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when was tempted, he was able to help those who are being tempted. Verse uh, 17, uh, 14 gets our attention. Since the children have flesh and blood, we too shared, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death. For the time that's mine, I just want to preach from the title, the power to discern injustice. The power to discern injustice. Rashima, one of the important attributes of any leader is they must have the ability to make right decisions. As the church, the method to make right decisions and the spiritual gift we use is a gift called discernment. Spiritual discernment is different than just discernment. Discernment is simply trying to come up with the right 
decision. The ability to judge well. It is engaging in the process of determining truth from error, right from wrong. But the problem I've discovered, Lil, is that discernment in this information age and time we live in, we kind of find information to support our thoughts and feelings, and then we call that the truth and say that's right. In other words, the truth is whatever I find support in my belief. Spiritual discernment is not about what you and I believe. It's more about what does God have to say? What is God saying? Where is God? See, worldly discernment starts with filling yourself with information. But spiritual discernment starts with emptying yourself from the information. Worldly discernment starts with the problem on the outside. But spiritual discernment starts with the problem on the inside. Worldly discernment looks at the enemy, but spiritual discernment looks at the inner me. Oh, you just missed that. Worldly discernment is seeing what I'm holding on. Spiritual discernment looks at what I am willing to let go of. Worldly discernment wants to know what is right in my decision. But spiritual discernment wants God to reign in my decision. Come on, y'all, I'm talking the difference between spiritual discernment and our worldly discernment. A part of the job of the church is not discerning where we stand, when we speak, when to be silent, but where is God in this moment? Has anybody asked God, where are you in this moment? Come on, don't be cute in here. I know you have. The writer of Ecclesiastes says there's a time and a season for everything under the sun. I think one thing the church has to use spiritual discernment is how and when and what would God have us to do in issues of justice. The basic definition of justice is fairness and the way people are treated. Biblical justice is holding individual communities and cosmos up with goodness and impartiality. Plato defines and says that justice is like the soul, uh, is a soul and is and a part of our body. He also says that justice is harmonious strength. Justice is not, watch this, y'all, it's not the right of the stronger, but it is the effect of harmony of the whole. Y'all just missed that. I said it is justice is not the right of the stronger, but it's the harmonious interest of the whole. Justice means to make things be right. The Old Testament meant that God intervened. The New Testament talks about God being the one that brings the justice. But you know, oftentimes where there's disharmony in our community, injustice is somewhere in the vicinity. It is the call of the church to step in. Because I think we go back and forth between worldly discernment and spiritual discernment as the church. And we don't always know God, what God is saying about the matters of justice for his people. Oftentimes in things like justice, reconciliation, oneness, unity, wholeness, we all see that they are values in the scriptures. But I don't think we always know how God is applying these things in our lives and to others. I believe that we're living in a season where it is emotionally charged with worldly perspective, but it's very difficult to find God's perspective in this environment. Most people want to, want, truth of the matter is most people want to throw God 
away because they blame him for the injustice in the world. But discerning issues of injustice and justice can't be something the church does out of their flesh. But to discerning issues of justice has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to point you and me to Christ's character. Tim Keller says it this way. Biblical justice is not a set of bullet points or rules and guidelines. It is rooted in the very character of God that out of working of that character, never is there just. Listen, nowhere can there be injustice when it's inside of the character of God. So what do we need to do to discern injustice and justice? We need to be in the character of God. Listen to the power of discerning injustice is understand Christ's humanity and anchoring to him. John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want you to understand if you want to discern justice and injustice in this world, we have to be anchored to Christ. I know when we're anchored to Christ, he gives us the model because when he walked into the sanctuary in Luke chapter 4, he opened the Bible up to Isaiah 61 and said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to release of darkness to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord, the day of our vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow crowns of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I come to tell you this morning, if you want to discern the issues of injustice, you got to be anchored in Jesus Christ. You know, today with television, there's questions and the, you can see the questions and the cries of the suffering. We hear and see the voice of the pain of the voiceless. And it's clear in Christ's humanity, he went to the margins to give those people and all those who are on the margins a voice. You know, in the matter of justice and justice, we're going to follow, follow Christ and Christ's cry. And, and, and the biggest problem we have in the church is that we find ourselves in two categories. We'll find ourselves in the two arguments, those that's holding on to preserving and those who are saying, I am deserving. We have two corners, preserving and deserving. But here's the question for the church this morning. What does God want for all his people? What, here's the question. Who would God have you to be in the face of injustice? What would Jesus in the flesh do to those and do with and for those who are in the, on the margins? Well, in our text this morning, we get starting point for discerning injustice. Verse 1 says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. He says, we got to pay attention, church. So we don't drift away. The picture here, Paul, is important because drifting away has more to do with doing nothing. It's like being at the beach. Have you ever been to the beach? 
and you left your family in one place and you say, I'm going to be right in front of you. And all you did was just play around and waddled in the water. And before you know it, you were all the way down in the beach. And you're like, where's my family? Well, the Hebrew writer says we have to be careful from doing nothing because we had risked of drifting. Uh, Y'all just missed that. Which says to the church, in issues of injustice, doing nothing is not an option. Y'all just missed it. We can't just drift. Well, he says, he warns them about drifting because he wants us to be anchored. If you're not anchored, you will drift. And this is the problem in this argument is that some of us are drifting here and there and everywhere. But the question is, where are you anchored? And the Hebrew writer anchors us, watch this church, in Christ's humanity. He said, if you want to have a starting place on things of injustice, look at how Christ operated when he was 100% human. The starting point is looking at Jesus' humanity. Jesus came to earth to die, to bring justice by experiencing injustice, church. Jesus came to earth to receive a penalty, watch this, that he did not deserve. That is the definition of injustice. Experience suffering and death and consequences for something you did not do wrong. He was dehumanized on that cross. He was degraded on that cross. He was disenfranchised on that cross. Jesus was fully identified with the poor, disinherited, and the oppressed. Jesus had the power to pull himself out of injustice and oppression. But Jesus' mission, watch this church, was to save. And this word save here is not just a moral correction, but he is the one to give those who free those who are in bondage. The writer of Hebrew is clear that we should not neglect this salvation, the one that not just gives us a moral correction, but the one that frees those who are in bondage. Jesus said, I come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Jesus came to the systems that enslaved people. God set people free from, he set people, uh, the Egyptians, from Egyptian captivity. He set the people free from Babylonian captivity. He set the people free from Roman oppression. Jesus came to set the people free. Jesus died for the oppressed, and as long as we're living on this earth and there's oppressed people, we need to understand that the church has work to do. Human Jesus Christ in the humanity died for those who are oppressed, who needed to be free. In verses 5 and 9, the Hebrew writer then begins to write about the recovery of the destiny of those who are lost. The Hebrew writer says, but we do see Christ, who made lower than angels for a little while, now crowned with glory, honor because he suffered death so that by grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Wow. But here's the question. How does, how does those who experience injustice, disenfranchised, dehumanized, who's responsible for, to restore those who are on the bottom?
Well, to be a Christian means to be like Christ. <laughs> he was born to die to those who are on the margins and disenfranchised. He became a substitute in place of those who are suffering in sin. Jesus redeemed those who are even on the margins. Our sin puts us on the margin, church. Each and every one of us are marginalized because we're not worthy. We're not good enough. We're not holy enough. But our Jesus stepped, stepped in. He was the substitutionary atonement and brought us out of the margins and brought us on the inside. Well, when we're anchored in Christ, we're able to spiritually discern what we're called to do with the issues of injustice, church. Where there are two things that I want to lift this morning and then I'm going to my seat and we go into the communion table. If you're going to be spiritually discerned, those who are experiencing injustice, the first thing I see is we must share in the life of those who are experiencing injustice. We must share in the life of those who are experiencing it. Let me show it to you in the text because I don't want you to think I'm making it up. It says, verse 14, it says, since the children have of flesh and blood, we too shared in their humanity, talking about Jesus, so that he too shared his humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held slavery by their fear of death. The Hebrew writer is making it clear, church, that Jesus shares in their humanity. He becomes flesh and blood in which he can identify with all of their pain, with all of their suffering, with the oppression and the injustice. He, is, he can identify with it all. Jesus came as one that walked right to the margins and said, I know what you're going through. But watch this, Lil. You got to be careful here. You got to be careful. Here it is. The word share here, oftentimes in the Greek, we, you can interchange it for koinonia. It means communion, fellowship, having nice communion with someone. But that's not the word in the text. Watch this. Jesus, the word in the text really means more Jesus partook, Lil, which means to take hold of something that doesn't belong to you. Oh, y'all sleep. Y'all just missed that. I said, Jesus, this word <laughs> share doesn't mean I'm hanging out with my little friends and fellowship with the people that's like me or but literally, this word here shares in the text means Jesus taking on something that does not belong to him. Oh, oh. Because the problem here is in issues of injustice, one of the excuses is this doesn't belong to me. <laughs> this isn't my problem. But the text says, Mateko. Jesus didn't quantanea, he mateko. He took on what didn't belong to him. So that those who are on the margins would be free. Can I ask a question this morning? Is it anybody in the room that's ready to take on some stuff that may not belong to your story, but it's somebody else's story, and they need you to step up? Good God Almighty. 2 Corinthians 5 and says, for our sake, he made himself to be sin so that you may be the righteousness of God. Too many of us look at the issues of injustice and we say, not my problem. 
or we dismiss by saying, I'm not the one that caused that. But I'm so glad Jesus is not like us. <laughs> I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, this ain't my problem. I'm so glad he didn't look at our sin situation and say, I ain't got no sin on me. <laughs> but he's a God that says, watch this, he shares, he partakes, he takes on so that you and I can be free. He shares. Uh, Jesus partook because just like Plato, he understood that there's no, there's no true freedom without harmony of the whole. We lack corporate harmony and justice in our neighborhoods. We lack justice in our criminal justice system. We lack justice in our economic system. We lack justice in our ed education system. And Jesus, where he saw injustice, he went into it, he shared it, and he broke it. Listen, Jesus shared and came close to our conditions so that he could break it. Listen, church, none of us are called to be on the sidelines. All of us are called to be a community. And I know what it is. I know what it is. I know what it is, Bill. Because we have this picture of church, the first sin. And I, I, people always tell me, we need to be an axe church. <laughs> yeah, because I'm so cute. So, so they was, they, what they're talking about is an axe church in Acts chapter 2, where they would get together, fellowship together, be in their homes and all that. That's how we interpret that. Well, let me give you the real biblical interpretation. The people of Acts wanted to be in the corporate body, but because the persecution was so hard, they had to share and take care of one another because the environment that they were in was so hard. So what they do? They shared. They, 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 they took in each other's burdens. They, whatever they were experiencing, they did it with each other and for each other. That's what's happening in Acts. And Acts, not our little small groups. And they're not in small groups because they want to be there. They're in small groups because they don't have a choice. <laughs> you laughing at me, Alan? <laughs> because it's persecution, church, but they took care of one another. This little pandemic is cute compared to what they were going through. But that's what he says, church. They shared. Y'all mad at me, so I'm going to go to the second point. I'm sorry. If we're going to discern injustice, the first thing I see is Jesus as a sharer. But here it is, the second thing. If we're going to uh, 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 discern injustice, I see that we have to be a sympathizer. We have to be a sympathizer. Look at verse 17. For this reason, he had made him like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful, watch this, faithful high priest in service to God, that he may make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered, was tempted, was able to help those who are being tempted. I believe God wasn't just a sharer. But church, he was a sympathizer. We understand that the theology that Jesus' humanity comes as fallen humanity. And this becomes, this, this, this is my biggest theological statement today. Take notes. I'm going to throw a curveball at you right now. Are you all ready? All right. There are two falls inside of the text. There is 
falling humanity, and then he deals with falling angels. Now, stay with me. I'm going to clean it up, and then I'm going to read it to you real fast out of text because I want you to see where this is coming from, and you can do your homework when you get home um, and get your Bible out and everything. But let me show it to you in the text. So in verse 15, watch this. He says, and free those all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angel he helped, watch this, but Abraham's descendant, oh mercy, but Abraham's descendant, watch this. He says, watch this, this is so beautiful. He said, God had a choice to deal with one or two falls. He could have dealt with the fall of the angel, which is Satan, or he could have dealt with the fall of humanity. Watch this. He chose to sympathize with humanity. Y'all missed that. There's two here. He chose to sympathize with our humanity. He saw us separated from him. And he loved us so much that he was willing to sympathize. So that you and I, whatever we're going through, he can walk up to you and say, I know what you're going through. I know your pain. I know your hurt. Now, he could have chose both have a fall. He could have chose to sympathize with the falling angel and left humanity left to fix themselves. But he did not do that. But the Hebrew writer is saying he chose humanity and he sympathized with you and me so that we can be restored and make whole again. Good God Almighty. That's good preaching. They may not know it, but I know that's good preaching right there. They chose. He chose humanity. He sympathized with you so much. He could have went to his fallen angel. And, and restored the angels, and the angels could have been saying, holy, 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 back restored. But he chose you. He chose me. Fallen humanity. What a sympathetic God we serve. This great, this, this family. We're called to be sharers and sympathizers. When you see this argument of justice and stuff, Where's my, where am I going to anchor myself in this? Because I saw I got so many calls like, what, what do I do? I just don't know what to do. Here it is. I want you to start two places. Where am I to be a sharer? I'm a takeoff. Where are you calling me to take on something even if it doesn't belong to me so that someone's life can be free? Other part is, where am I called to be a sympathizer? Where is God calling me to sympathize in this area? And here's, and I, I close with this beautiful passage from Hebrews chapter 4. And he says that our God is an empathize with all of our pains. He knows exactly what each and every one of us have experienced. There is nothing that he doesn't lack and understanding his, that's what his humanity is. Every pain, every burden, every hurt, every frustration, every fear. When you say he's 100% God, he says, I get it. And he says to those on the margin, I get you. Where are you called to be a share? <laughs> Where are you called to be a sympathizer? You don't have to be out here drifting and floating on discerning what do I do in injustice. 
two things right in Christ's humanity. He was a sharer. He was a sympathizer. 